0: We'll read from Revelation 20, verse 1 to 6 this morning, and this is also the text for this morning's sermon. So, Revelation 20, verse 1 to 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. In response, let's sing from Psalm 92, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. The text for this morning is Revelation 20, verse 1 to 6, as was just read. Uh, we're, we will refer to this text often in the first part of the sermon, so it might be helpful to have the text handy. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Is there a literal thousand-year kingdom of Christ? And if so, when does it take place? Christ has completed his work here on earth, and so he sits in heaven with the Father. Sitting at the right hand means that he's been given a position of power and honor. He's the head of the church and the one through whom the Father governs all things. From heaven, he pours out heavenly gifts through the Spirit and then also defends and preserves us from his enemies and our enemies. Our catechism gives a straightforward summary of what Scripture teaches about the return of Christ to judge the living and the dead. When Christ returns as judge, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear because he took the divine judgment that was to fall on me. Moreover, all his and my enemies are going to receive justice. Meanwhile, I will be vindicated and taken into heavenly joy and glory. Christ's return is not something to be afraid of, but to anticipate. If we're looking to him in faith, we can see that his return offers gospel promises of comfort. The catechism is simple and clear on these things. Yet there are all sorts of questions that people ask about the last things, which we call eschatology. Eschatology is the doctrine of the last things. A question I've often been asked about is the thousand years mentioned in Revelation 20. Many other church groups around us hold to a definite view of the thousand years or of the millennium. Some years ago, there were those books in the Left Behind series. A movie was made of it, and recently it was remade into yet another movie. Reformed believers sometimes get confused about these things, so it's no wonder they ask questions. This morning we're going to look more closely at the millennium, the thousand years of Revelation 20. What are we to believe about it, and how should we regard the different views of it? The issue here is the proper understanding of the first six verses of Revelation 20. Let's first briefly look at those verses. Verse 2 says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Verse 3 says that after the thousand years are over, Satan must be released for a little while. Verse 4 speaks of some believers who come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Verse 5 says that the rest of the dead come to life after the thousand years. Then verse 6 tells us that those who share in the first resurrection are blessed and holy and repeats the fact that they'll reign with Christ during those thousand years. You can be forgiven if you read these verses and you're left scratching your head. The meaning's not right away clear. We're left asking, is there a literal thousand-year kingdom of Christ? And if so, when does it take place? There have been various answers to that question. We can group group them broadly into three categories. I'll briefly tell you what they are, and then we'll spend some time looking more closely at each one. Remember, we're looking at the thousand-year question, the millennium question. So each of these approaches is described as a form of millennialism, a belief about the millennium of Revelation 20. First, there's the premillennialism. Premillennialism says that Christ returns to the earth before, or pre, a literal 1,000-year kingdom on this earth. Second, we'll look at postmillennialism. Postmillennialism millennialism argues that Christ returns after or post the establishment of his millennial kingdom on earth. Finally, we'll have, finally we have amillennialism. The prefix a means that there is no millennium. At least there is no literal 1,000-year kingdom. So there are these three different views, but which one is correct? Let's begin with the most, the one that's most popular today pre-millennialism. This is the position of many North American Reformed, sorry, North American Evangelical churches. It's quite common to look at a statement of faith or doctrinal statement and find something like, we believe in and expectantly await the glorious, visible, personal, pre-millennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. A form of pre-millennialism was promoted by the Left Behind series books and films. Because it's so popular in North America, and because in our Reformed churches we haven't always been diligent about teaching eschatology, it's possible that premillennialism is the default position of many people in our churches too. There are a number of varieties of premillennialism. We can't do justice to them all this morning. Instead, I'll describe one popular form of it. According to this form of premillennialism, Jesus Christ came to earth with a plan to establish an earthly kingdom among the Jews. However, the Jews did not want him as their king, and so his plan failed. Instead, Christ decided to go with a plan B, involving the church. With this view, there's a distinction distinction made between the Old Testament, Israel, and the church. They're two separate entities. According to this form of premillennialism, there's no continuity between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. Israel and church are distinct, they say. Suddenly, at some point in history, what they call the rapture is going to happen. This is said to be Christ's second coming. It will not be public. Those who are believers will suddenly be drawn up to heaven by Christ and everyone else is left behind. Especially south of the border, you'll sometimes see bumper stickers that say, in case of rapture, this car will be driverless. Some enterprising people have even sold rapture insurance. If you're raptured, your family members who are not raptured or your pets or whatever are still taken care of. Believers are raptured, taken out of the world, and only unbelievers are left. And then what happens next is the, great, is the tribulation. There will be seven years of enorm, enormous world turmoil. The Antichrist is busy doing his evil work during this time. After this tribulation time, Christ returns again. This third coming is public. Everyone will see it and will know about it. He returns with all the saints. Then Christ reigns on earth with them for a thousand years. Christ and his saints rule from Jerusalem. The temple's rebuilt, and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament resumes again. Then after the millennium, there's a turning away from God and one last battle with Satan. Satan is defeated and then cast into the bottomless pit. Then comes the resurrection of all unbelievers and the final day of judgment. After that, believers finally get to live in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't blame you if you didn't follow all that. I tried to keep it as simple as possible, but even then, it's quite elaborate. You can see why they need charts to explain it. You can see why premillennialism easily lends itself to a whole series of books like Left Behind. But how should we evaluate it? There's so much that's wrong with this approach that it's difficult to know where to begin. But let's just restrict ourselves to the problem of understanding the thousand years of Revelation 20. If you want a more rigorous and thorough critique of premillennialism, you should check out Kim Riddlebarger's book, A Case for Amillennialism. When it comes to the understanding of Revelation 20, where premillennialism fails is its insistence on understanding some things in a literal fashion. There are many parts of the bible that are meant to be taken literally there are descriptions of historical events that we take at face value however the bible is a large volume with 66 books each of these books has its own character and there are several types of literature among these books the word for a certain type of literature is genre there are different types of genre there are different genres in the bible One of these genres, or types of writing, is called apocalyptic. There are books in the apocalyptic genre, or books that contain passages written in the apocalyptic style. For instance, parts of Daniel, Joel, and Zechariah. Most of the book of Revelation also falls into that category. Apocalyptic literature uses a lot of symbolism to communicate a message, but premillennialists are often missing this point. So, in Revelation 20, premillennialists typically see the thousand years as a literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. However, in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 20, we read about Satan being bound up with a great chain. Satan is an angel, he doesn't have a physical body. So, how would, be, how would it be possible to bind him with a literal, literal physical chain? It's obvious that the language is symbolic. Or metaphorical. If the language is symbolic in one part of the verse, shouldn't consistency lead you to see that the language is symbolic in the other part of the verse, especially if you're dealing with apocalyptic literature? It's arbitrary to say that the great chain is metaphorical, but the thousand years are literal. It's inconsistent. So premillennialism fails to read the Bible properly here. According to premillennialism, the reign of Christ on earth is still coming. But listen to what Christ said in Matthew 12, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or what about Luke 17, verse 20 to 21? Christ was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, but he, would not, but he said not to listen to those who say, Look, here it is, or there it is. He said... For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And then there's Colossians 1, verse 13. Paul says that Christians living here on this earth right now have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Christ is ruling on this earth right now. Yes, there's still a sense in which his kingdom is coming. He taught us to pray, Your kingdom come. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he's ruling here on earth right now already. Premillennialism fails to reckon with this biblical truth. Finally, premillennialism also has trouble with what the Bible says about the resurrection of the righteous. Remember, premillennialism says that the saints are resurrected at the beginning of the thousand years. The last day of judgment doesn't come until the thousand years are over and the final apostasy. But what does Jesus say in John 6, verse 39 to 40? He says that he will rise up the elect at the last day. He repeats it several times in John 6. Martha says it in John 11 as well, and Jesus doesn't correct her. When he says about Lazarus, your brother will rise again, Martha replies, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Both the righteous and the unrighteous are resurrected on the last day of judgment, not at the beginning of a thousand year reign. This is also what we confess in article 37 of the Belgic Confession. The only resurrection of the dead takes place at the last day. There is only one resurrection. So here too, pre-millennialism cannot be correct. But then what about post-millennialism? Here we're closer to the truth. In fact, throughout the history, there have been numerous reformed churches and believers who have held this position. It's quite well recognized that our Reformed confessions leave room for post-millennialism. The prefixed post-says it all. The return of Christ comes after the thousand years. According to post-millennialism, there's only one return of Christ, and there's only one resurrection. As for the thousand years, post-millennialism doesn't take this to be necessarily a literal thousand years, It's a set period of time in history, they say. In this period, which still lays in the future, the gospel is preached everywhere and widely accepted. Christianity expands and the world becomes Christianized. The vast majority of people submit to the reign of Christ on earth throughout his church. There's a golden age ahead for the Christian faith. Post-millennialists do not believe that there will be a final struggle with Christ final struggle with Satan before Christ's return. But the overall view is one of optimism. We can be positive seeing that there is a great future ahead. But the question is, does the Bible support this very optimistic view of future things? Does the kingdom of Christ upon this earth Does the kingdom of Christ come upon this earth with glory and grandeur, the way people conceive of these things? The question relates to the character of Christ's kingdom in this age. The Bible speaks about this age and the age to come. The kingdom has a different character in each of these two ages. In the age to come, all the opposition to Christ is gone, all sin is gone, everything evil is conquered in a definitive and public fashion. But in this age, the kingdom exists in the midst of suffering and persecution. Christ's kingdom advances, but in a counterintuitive way. That's what happened in Acts 14. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas were at one moment being worshipped as Greek gods, literally, and the next moment, the people of the same city were trying to stone them to death. Yet there were those who heard the preaching of the gospel and believed. Disciples were made. Paul and Barnabas encouraged these disciples, and in verse 22 of Acts 14, they said, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. In this age, the way the kingdom progresses is through hardship and suffering, through persecution. Scripture does not lead us to expect that in this age, Christianity will be widely embraced. Quite the opposite, since Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few there's far more that could be said about post-millennialism but we want to move on to the last way of understanding revelation 20 amillennialism amillennialism is the view held by most reformed theologians today as i mentioned earlier the word amille- amillennialism literally means no millennialism I think it was Dr. Faber who proposed a different name for this view. Dr. Faber reportedly said that we should call it nuke millennialism. Nuke is the Latin word for now. So, another way to say it is now millennialism. That'd be more accurate. It'd be better because what this view says is that the millennium is right now. It's not coming at some point in the future before Christ returns like the post millennialists say. It's not coming after Christ returns, like the pre millennialists say. No, the millennium of Revelation 20 is the present reign of Christ here on this earth. It's not a literal thousand years, it stands for the period of time between his ascension into heaven and his return to judge the living and the dead. During this time, during the millennium, Satan is bound. He's bound right now. What that means is that while he tries, he cannot ultimately stand in the way of the progress of the gospel. He can do a lot of evil things, but he cannot stop the gospel being preached over the whole world, to every nation, tribe and tongue. The great commission given to Christ, the great commission given by Christ to his church, will continue to be carried out, and people will be saved. We see that happening among us, and we see that happening on our mission fields, too. In that sense, we can share some of the optimism of the post-millennialists. Really, there's nothing that can ultimately stop the progress of the gospel in this world and the drawing in of the elect. It doesn't mean that the world becomes Christianized or that all opposition stops. It means that there is no one who can frustrate Christ's church-gathering work, not even Satan. Revelation 20 tells us that at some point in history, Satan will be released from his bonds, There will be a period of widespread deception leading up to the return of Christ and the final judgment. This is described elsewhere in Scripture as well. Verse 4 to 6 of Revelation 20 describes the reign of saints with Christ in heaven during the millennium. Believers are in heaven with Christ, both the martyrs and those who who otherwise died in Christ. They're presently already reigning with him. Their life in heaven with Christ right now is described as the first resurrection. They've been raised to heaven to a life reigning with Christ right now. But there will be another resurrection that involves both physical bodies coming to life. Sorry. But there will be another resurrection that involves physical bodies coming to life. That happens at the last day. That resurrection of the living and the dead and the just and the unjust, that happens at Christ's return. Brothers and sisters, the doctrine of the last things can be an area with a lot of confusion and a lot of questions. To tell you the truth, I've struggled with eschatology too. I've never found pre-millennialism to be persuasive at all. But as a seminary student, I did waver between post-millennialism and amillennialism. I'm quite convinced now that amillennialism is the correct view. The millennium is right now. And as for how the end times unfold, you could turn to Article 37 of the Belgian Confession and find a simple and straightforward explanation. We don't know when Christ will return. He will come back when the number of the elect is full. He will return bodily and visibly with great glory and majesty. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge. Believers will be vindicated and unbelievers will be condemned. Believers will be blessed with eternal life in the restored creation. Unbelievers will be cursed with an eternity in hell. That's it. That's the simple description of how things end. I want to urge you to strive to understand the scriptures correctly. After all, right understanding leads to right belief, and right belief leads to right living. There's no doubt that parts of the Bible are more complicated than others. They're easily misunderstood and then shoehorned into elaborate systems. We need to be discerning about these things. My prayer is that this morning's sermon is a starting point for you to look more closely at these things for yourself. And when it comes to the doctrine of the last things, we need to strive to grow in our understanding. Amen.